And we got somebody special here today. It's just been, it's just been some great services uh, on this Father's Day. And uh, we got a little gift at the end for the fathers. But I, it, he's going to really speak to your heart. The Lord will through William Green. But uh, one of our elders, uh, I don't know if he's listening to you or not, but he was messing around on his iPad and found a clip of you. So let's play that clip from uh, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and let's see. Uh, I think it's called Run, William, Run. Down, they give it to Green. Green stutter step. He's through. First down. 40, 45, 50, 45, 40. Run, William, run. 20, 50, 10, 5. Touchdown. <laughs> We've been waiting for it to break the big one, but he saves it for the right time. 64 yards. Give you guys to pass the offering. Time to pass the offering out. Uh, uh, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to you. When I think about Father's Day, I think about uh, <laughs> me being a father, like Pastor Mike said, a father of eight kids, and a lot of times I find myself on the road, uh, but you know what? Sometimes I realize in, in our life it's important to be a father, but I can't help but to think about my wife with all those eight kids at home <laughs> when I am on the road and she's alone. <laughs> you know, as a father, sometimes we don't always, uh, 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 you know, we appreciate our wives in different situations, but a lot of times we, we really don't understand uh, what's really going on, and uh, I'll just share this while they're pa- passing the offering there. Um, man, I had a chance to go home uh, this past year, my wife, I guess she finally said, you know what, I'm going to let William understand what it's like to, to, to re- what I go through. You know, you're on the road, you work hard all the time, but I'm going to let you feel a little bit of what I go through, and she decided one day she was going to just go hang out with her, her mother and her sister for the day, and uh, <laughs> by the time she got back, I felt like I aged about 20 or 25 years. With all those kids. Uh, but I'm blessed. It's Father's Day. Me and my wife, uh, my high school sweetheart. Um, we have eight beautiful children today. Always like this brag and say she was the prom queen. Um, I wasn't the king. Like my buddy Andy would say, Will, you were more like the frog. You weren't the king, but you got lucky. <laughs> so uh, are we done with the offering there? Just give them time to be done with the offering. Okay, no problem. I'm most certainly blessed to be here. And, uh, uh, the Bible says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word, the power of our testimony. Um, why our testimony is so powerful? And a lot of times I like when I talk about testimonies, I like to share with Christians and believers, hey, sometimes there's a point in your life where you have to go through something. They say, well, what, what significance does that have? How can God really use me and my situation for whatever I go through? And the bottom line is this. Your testimony, your situation is something that God can use to save a soul. So think about it this way. The next time we're struggling and whatever we're going through and we're feeling bad and anger, bad for ourselves, we're angry and like, God, I don't understand what's going on. You see, there's opportunity for God to use your testimony to save another person. Just think about it. There's sometimes in life there are certain situations and certain things that we face and certain things that go on that another person needs to see. They need to look at your situation, know that you're a believer, look at it and say, the world counted them out. Everybody counted them out. The doctor counted them out. The banks counted them out. That was impossible, but somehow they made it through. And they say it's because of their God. Who is this God? I need to know more about this God. He did the impossible. It's so important for us to kind of embrace where we are in life and understand that God will never leave us or forsake us. His word promises that. His word is true. When you go through that tough time and difficulty, understand that you're going to come through stronger and understand it's an opportunity to change a life, to change your life. So we, we have the offering uh, collected there. Uh, all good. Uh, so 
Um, I can't. I, I seen that run up there when Pastor told, kind of told me about. It, they found it. I said, "Oh man!" The first time I seen that it was kind of like a surprise, and they put it up before I came out. Uh, some of the shrimp team guys, but um, I'll tell you about that that play, that football play. I never forget that game. Um, again, it was a big game because, like Pastor said, the Browns in the playoffs that doesn't go together. That didn't happen too much. Um, but it, it was a really big game. You win the game, you go into the playoffs. If we lose the game, we go home. We just had one problem. Had a team by the name of Atlanta Falcons, and they had a quarterback on the team at that time by the name of Michael Vick, who was in his prime. And they were in the same boat as us. So they win the game, they go to the playoffs. If they lose, they go home. So I never forget this. I, I, you know, you come into that tunnel in, in, in the NFL, some stadiums, the fans are so loud and hyped that the whole arena just shakes like thunder. Boom, boom. Boom. And the closer you get to the field, the louder it gets. And then I forget, I'm standing there, I'm nervous. And one of my, one of the defensive backs, one of my friends, he was excited, ready to run out. And I was so afraid, I'll be honest. And I'll never forget, he looked at me, he said, Green, are you ready? I'm like, uh, sort of, I guess so. He said, Green, I feel like a gladiator today, man. Are you ready? I kind of looked at him, I didn't say this, but I was thinking to myself, man, I feel like the guy that's about to go get fed to the Lions. I don't feel like the gladiator today. So I come out to the field, I'm nervous, and, and, and when you run out to that field, you can smell the fresh cut grass in the fall, ESPN cameras are following with ABC, everybody's hype and loud, and my heart is pounding, so get to the 50-yard line, I go left, and I get to my sideline, and we had a guy's name, Ryan Tucker, Tuck stood about, about an honest 6'6", 340 plus pounds, he was, he was actually from Texas, and uh, he played a uh, left offensive tackle, one of, the, one of the biggest men I've ever seen in my life, and uh, Tuck's idea on this day, on that game, his idea to get the other teammates excited and pumped up was he's just going to run up to them, grab them by their face mask, and boom, give them a headbutt. Boom, give them a headbutt. So Tuck is doing this, and, and, and he kind of comes near me. He goes to grab me, and I'm kind of moving like, what in the world is wrong with this guy? Now, mind you, Tuck, he, he doesn't even got a helmet on, but he's still giving these guys headbutts. And I look down the sideline, and there's a guy over the trash can, and he's throwing up. He's giving up all his pregame meal. And I look back again, and believe it or not, it was the kicker. I'm thinking, what in the world is the kicker so afraid of? So anyway, I realized at this moment, you know what? We're all nervous. Everyone's a little nervous and afraid. Sucks so nervous that he wants to decapitate the whole team. And the kicker can't hold down his mill. So the game begins. I'll never forget this. The game begins, and, and, and here comes Michael Vick. But in front of him walks these big offensive linemen, and they kind of make their way to the line of scrimmage. Boom. Boom, boom. They got to get down in that stance. You know, these big bellies jump up and down. <sighs> I promise you, I looked across on that field, and some of these boys were big enough. They looked like they would eat hay. I promise you. And half of them was probably dumb enough to enjoy it, man. But down the line of scrimmage, and here comes pretty boy Michael Vick behind him. He gets underneath the center. Blue 80. Sat down. Blue 80. Hike. He's in the pocket. Michael Vick at his best. He's throwing the ball all up and down the football field. And um, they're scoring touchdowns. Michael Vick's scoring. We're scoring. Vick's scoring. The coach said, William, listen, the game plan is simple. Do what we did all year. You find those five big offensive linemen and you run behind them. So the game proceeds. We go back and forth. We're scoring touchdowns. And finally gets to this play, the fourth quarter. Uh, I want to say it was close to three minutes left in the football game. And we had a third and long situation where we had to either get a first down or a touchdown or the game was over, but they'll come back on the field, they'll run out the clock. So now I forget the coach calls a timeout, and I run to the sideline. I'm thinking, surely he's going to call a passing play. 
It's a third and long situation. We got to pass the ball. And what he did absolutely surprised me and it scared me to death at the same time. So I kind of go sit on the bench and I'm going to wait for the offense because I thought I was be getting taken out because they're going to pass the ball. And, and, and the coach says, Green, get up here. You're in the game. I'm thinking, what, what do you mean? And he says, listen, they're expecting us to throw the football. We're not going to throw the football. We're going to run the ball. And I looked back at him. I said, coach, it's, it's third and long, which means it's, if we don't get a first down and a touchdown, the game is over. But we can't run the ball. You got to throw the ball. He looks back at me and says, son, we're running the football. So I begin to plead my case. I said, coach, listen, you know, I, I'm the running back. And he looks at me and says, I know you're the running back. I said, coach, well, that means I've got to run the ball. And he said, I know you've got to run the ball. I said, coach, if I don't get a first down or a touchdown, the whole city of Cleveland is going to want to kill me. He says, I know, son, so get your butt on the field and get the first down. So I'm standing back there, and I was a rookie. I was, always, I was afraid every single game. I was always afraid. And I'm standing back there, and my heart's pounding out of my chest. I'm thinking, okay, call my fiance, tell her to gas up the car. We got to drive straight back to Jersey. We can't live in Ohio no more. These people are going to want to kill me. So I can hear the quarterback start to call his cadence, Blue 80, sat down, Blue 80. I'm behind the quarterback, and I'm making my read. And um, I look all the way to the right. I can see the right cornerback. He's trying to figure, okay, is it a run or is it a pass? And I look all the way to the left. I see the left defensive end. His knuckles are all white. He's about to fly off the ball, fly downfield. And then I find my middle linebacker. You always got to find your middle linebackers in football. So I finally find the middle linebacker. And listen, this man was, uh, put it this way, I was used to facing guys like Ray Lewis and Brian Erlacher. But on this Sunday, the Falcons had a linebacker that was so big, so mean, so ugly. I never forget, this is a true story. I remember looking up into his helmet, and everything just seemed big. Like, just, I guess I was that afraid. His eyeballs seemed big. His nose seemed big. His cheekbones seemed big. I remember looking at his lips, thinking his lips were so big, it looked like two pancakes fighting over syrup. <laughs> this guy was just mean looking. I'm thinking, oh. like I had a quarterback, Blue 80. I'm thinking, he's going to kill me. Blue 80, set down, Blue 80, hike. I take my zone read as you see it on the play there, and I get the football, and I juke one guy, I juke the next guy, and as I start downfield, one guy kind of reaches up, hits the back of my foot, and I start to stumble down, but I put my hand down real quick, and I pop up, and when I look up to my surprise, the only thing I can see in front of me is about 65 yards in the end zone. So I start to run down the field as fast as I possibly can, and the fans are screaming, run, William, run, run, William, run. The defenders are so close that I can feel them breathing over my back shoulder. I can feel their footsteps. All of a sudden, I hit about the 50-yard line. Whew. I put it in the overdrive. 40, 20, 10, 5, touchdown. Browns go to the playoffs since, like, Jim Brown played football, I don't know, very long time. But here's the deal. Here's why I share that story, and I seen that run. I said, I got to tell exactly what happened on that play. But here's why I share that story. It's very simple. YouTube clip. It's called Run, William, Run. I remember reaching a point in my life where I was no longer running from my opponents on the field, but I was running from myself. I was running from the past, the pain of the past. Some of you guys know that. The enemy's very good at keeping us stuck in the past so we can't look forward to Christ and to the future and the great future he has for us. I'll tell you exactly how I felt after that football game. I would go in my locker room. I'd take my helmet off. I'd take my shoulder pads off. I sat in that locker, and I watched everybody else come up in, in the locker room, jump up and down, high fives. Everyone's happy. The owner comes up to me, gives me a hug. Green, I'm so glad we brought you to the team. The head coach comes and gives me a hug. 
And all I could do was sit there and watch these guys celebrate. And I thought to myself, what in the world am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? I realized at that moment what I told myself my entire life since I was a little boy was an absolute lie. I realized that I read the Bible over and over again so many times and I see so many different examples of kings, princes, sons, men, women who have put their trust and hope in the man and the things of the world and it lets them down every single time. Jesus Christ says he is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, the only way, the only person to put your trust and hope in is a relationship with Christ. He's the only one who can promise to never leave you or to never forsake you. Think about the point I was at in my life. The word deception comes to my mind. The word deception. What do you mean to be deceived? The Bible clearly states that the thief, the enemy, Satan, has come to do nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ, on the other hand, has come to give us life and life more abundantly. How does the enemy do this? He's very good at mixing lies with the truth. I wish I would have known a long time ago, that, if, like Matthew 6.33 says, if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else shall be added upon me. I was deceived. I didn't understand that. Let me tell you something. One of the enemy's greatest tricks is to get us to chase the things of the world so fast and so hard, money, jobs, career, relationships, to chase it so fast and so hard till we forget to make the greatest decision of our lives, and that's accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. It started for me as a young man. It started for me as a young man who stood in the church that my great-grandfather built with his own two hands. My uncle after him came behind him, and he was the pastor. My mother was a mother who brought me to church every single Sunday, right on the front row, Sunday school, everything. But there was a point in my life where deception started to sneak in. Deception started to sneak in. See, let me explain something to you. There's two different type of people in this world I understand to be. Sometimes we find them in church with us. There's two different type of people. There's people who have the information about who they think God is in their head, the information about God. They know the Bible front to back. And then there's a person out there who has the true revelation about who Jesus Christ is and what he really came here to do. That's a very big difference. A lot of times that very reason right there is the reason why the enemy can sneak in and deceive us. It's because when, when tragedy strikes and tragedy happens, when you don't have the revelation in your heart about who Christ truly is, but you only have the information, you get to a point where you can say, God, why? How? What's going on? But when you have that true revelation, you never, you, you never say that. You understand that by his stripes you're healed. You understand that he promises to never leave you or forsake you. As a young man, that's what the enemy used on me. I stood in that church my grandfather built. and my 12 years old, I stood in front of a casket. And in that casket lied my father. I remember the, the pain and the grief that came over me overwhelming, too much to handle. I cried and I wept in that casket, over that casket, thinking somehow he's going to get up and step out of it, but it wasn't going to happen. The pain got to be too much. My mother slid right over beside me. She put her arm around me, and she said, son, don't you worry about it. Everything will be okay. At that moment in my life, I remember my mother giving me a hug, and I remember thinking to myself, man, if I didn't have my mother here for me right now, I do not know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. That very next year, 13 years old, in that church that my grandfather built, that church my mother had me there every Sunday, I stood in front of another casket. This time in that casket lied my mother. This time something was different. It was hurt and pain and grief, but 
When I got up and I looked around for someone to hug me or to hold me to say, don't worry, everything will be okay, it was no one there. And almost immediately that deception from the enemy began to sneak in. That fear and that pain turned into anger to the point where I looked up and said, God, if you were real, how could this be happening to me in my life? How could this be happening to me in my life? How? Information versus revelation. Information versus revelation. The information told me that my heart was broken and I was afraid and scared because my parents were gone. But the revelation in my heart would have told me that although your mother and father can go away, Christ never leaves. He never leaves you or forsake you. The revelation would have told me that your mother knew the Lord. She's in a much greater place. But the information told me that I should be mad at God and not put my trust and hope in him. See where I'm from, uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey, a lot of drugs, a lot of gangs and and uh, my father was a man who was a drug dealer and a drug user. And uh, through his drug use, he contracted a deadly disease, a deadly virus called AIDS, HIV. And he passed that disease along to my mother, who was completely innocent and everything. And that, that shook me to the core. I couldn't understand. God, how? How? Why? How could this happen? My mother shared something with me on her deathbed. I'll never forget this. Uh, she pulled me close one day. She said, son, first of all, I'm going to tell you that no one ever said life was fair. But I promise you this, if you're willing to work hard enough and you have enough faith, you can do and you can be whatever it is that you want to be. If you have enough faith. As a young man with only information in my head and not the revelation in my heart, in my life I grabbed the hold of one part of that. I grabbed the hold of the hard work, but the whole faith thing, I really couldn't, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand. So I, I, I just don't know if I can put my hope in, in, in your God. Mom, I, I don't understand. How could he let you go through this? Mom, I don't know if I can do that. Information versus revelation. I would look at my mom sometime and I would say, what are you happy about? Why are you smiling? Why are you still praising? Dad is dead. You're sick. We're poor. You're dying. What are you happy about? Information versus revelation. Had the joy of the Lord. I know now she had the comfort of the Holy Spirit. She knew he would never leave or forsake us. She knew that even though, even though she was going to another place and leaving because of her righteousness through him, he promised to never see his righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread in the streets. She knew that even her children would be taken care of because of his promise. It's information versus a young man with simple revelation. I said to myself, well, do this myself. I'm going to work hard enough. I'm going to get there. One day I'm going to be in the NFL. I love to share this story, but before I, before I go forward, I, uh, I love to share this story because it's, it's, it's a prime example of what, what I always, what I talk about, what, what the Lord put on my heart to share today about truly having revelation in your heart. Um, when I think about my mother, there was a point in my life where I had to choose who are you going to be like William. Had an older brother who got sentenced to 20 years in prison. Had a father who was in and out of jail, on and off of drugs. And I kind of chose to be like my mother, her toughness and determination. Um, i never forget, there was a, a little league football game I was about to play. And since I was a little boy, the Lord blessed me to be a pretty good athlete. And, and uh, my mother understood that I loved football. And it was one particular game i never forget because it was the year after my father died and the year before my mother died, and um, I was training for this Pop Warner Little League football game, and the coach pulled me aside one day. He says, William, listen, before the game this evening, I got to tell you that, you know, whatever kid doesn't have the proper shoes, the proper attire, I'm not allowed to let him play in the football game. 
And the reason why the coach was telling me this was because that he understood that my father had passed away, and he also understood that my mother was ill and she couldn't work. And he said, well, I understand if you can't get these shoes, your mother can't afford them, but just go home and see what happens, and don't worry about it if you can't come to the football game. And, and I tell you what, when I walked off the field, I was upset. I was hurt because last thing I wanted to do was go home and tell my God-friend uh, mother that your son can't play in the game because you can't afford to buy him these shoes. So I walked home, and I thought to myself, I said, you know what? Because of her disease, she was going blind, and she couldn't see. She could barely see in the daytime, and there was no way she could see me play that game that night. So when I got home, I said, that's what I'll tell her. I'll just tell her, you know, the game's that night, Mom. We don't have to go to the football game. So when I walk in the door, she says, son, she pulls me close. She can't see too well. She says, son, are you ready for the game? And I said, well, Ma, you know, the game is it's an evening game. It's at night. There's no way you can watch me play the game. So don't worry about it. We don't have to go to the football game. And she said, son, what's wrong? I know, I know when you're telling me the truth. I know when you're trying to, what's the matter? And I'm going to explain to her. I told her the truth. I said, well, Ma, you know, coach said if I, I don't have these football spikes, these football cliques that we need, then I'm not allowed to play in the football game. It's a new rule. I know you can't afford it, so don't worry about it. You can't watch me play in the game. Anyhow, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. She immediately stopped me, and she did what she would always do. She grabbed my hands, and she began to pray. She says, Lord, I'm asking you to bless me to somehow buy my son these shoes, but I'm also asking you to bless me to somehow watch him play in this football game. I'll be honest, I say it every time, but when she said that prayer, I remember thinking, I'm looking back up at her, kind of close over my eye, we're praying. I'm thinking, okay, I know she's losing her sight, but is she losing her mind too? I mean, there's no way you can watch me playing a game. So what's the point of asking for that? It's impossible. Information versus revelation. The information in my head told me that that was impossible for her God to do. But the revelation that lived in her heart knew that if he wanted to, he could open her eyes and let her see whatever it was she wanted to see. So I find myself in the store. She gets her little money up. And I find myself in the shoe store and Never forget all the football spikes are lined up on the row across. And, and, and of course, on the first shoe, the front row is the most, probably the most expensive shoe. And I will never forget this football spike because it was a pair of Nike Sharks. And I wanted those Sharks. All the cool kids had them. I wanted them. I didn't quite know how much money she had in her pocket. I was just hoping somehow I could get these shoes. And so she picks the shoe up. She really couldn't see. She pulls it close. She looks at the price and she shakes her head and she puts it down. And I'm thinking, man, they go to Nikes, okay? I can't get those, okay? That's still hope left. We got a whole rack of shoes. So she goes to the next shoe. She looks at the price, shakes her head. She puts it down. Next shoe, same thing, shakes her head. Oh. Now, mind you, as she's going down this shoe rack, the shoes are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, but uglier and uglier and uglier till she finally gets to this last ugly shoe on the shoe rack. Now, listen. It was a spike. It had spikes on the end of it. It was a cleat, but it wasn't really a football spike. It was like a European soccer shoe. It was all black and had all this crazy, funny, green European writing all over the shoe. I couldn't even understand what it was. And she reaches for the shoe. And I remember looking at her thinking, God, I would rather not play a game than wear those shoes. She picks that shoe up. She looks at the price. She peeks back at me. She says, praise the Lord, son. Our prayers have been answered. So I got to wear these spikes. <laughs> My friends heckle me all the way to the game, and they're laughing. Look at green shoes. What in the world? And that evening, man, I, I ran up and down that football field. I touchdown after touchdown, touchdown after touchdown. And, and when I walked off the field, I, 
I was hurt again. I felt grief. I was upset. And it wasn't for myself, but I felt upset for my mother because I knew that somehow she was trusting that God would somehow heal her eyes and she could watch me playing that football game. So when I walked off the field, to my surprise, she's the first one to greet me. She pulls me closer. She says, son, you had an outstanding football game. And I'm thinking, what do you mean I had a great game? She says, I watched you playing that game. I said, what do you mean I watched you playing the game? She says, son, it was a miracle. The Lord allowed me to watch you playing that game. But remember this, never be afraid to ask Christ for anything. According to your faith, you can have all things according to your faith. Nothing is too big for him. On that day, it was a miracle. She, she watched me playing that game. And as I stood in awe, and I'm thinking, how was that possible? She reminded me of the shoe store that day. She reminded me of that last ugly shoe on the shoe rack. She said, son, do you know the ugly shoe that you didn't like? I said, yes, ma. She said, you know, when I grabbed that shoe, I realized it was just the right price. And I knew the Lord was in it. But you know the ugly green right in all of us shoe that you absolutely do not like? I said, yes, ma. She says, boy, it glows in the dark. She said... All I had to do was watch the kid with the skinny legs and the light-up shoes run all up and down the field. And I knew you played the game. <laughs> it's a true story, sir. True story. Huh? God had a plan. He's seeing our faith. Shoes were the right price. Those lights were the only thing she could see on that field, but she knew the length of the field, the touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Here's why I share that with you guys is, first of all, to say never be afraid to ask your God for anything. That's all he desires is someone to put total trust and faith and confidence in him. He desires us for us to be so humble that we cast all our cares on him till we worry about nothing. Because we know when we worry about anything, that's saying, God, you're not good enough. You can't do it. You can't take care of that problem. Cast your faith upon him. NFL. Almost one rookie of the year. Team MVP. At a point in my life where I was so broken, hurt, and desperate, I did not know what to do. I was at a point in my life where I was jealous of this little woman who died at 36 years old in the projects in New Jersey, poor and sick. I was jealous of her because out of all the things I had accomplished, my joy did not even come close to the joy she had, even living in that situation. Jealous, angry with myself. How is it that she could have this and I could not? Something was wrong. Something was missing. I reached a point in my life where I said, you know what? I'm going to fix the pain myself. I'm going to fix the problem. My whole life, I've done the right thing. The whole life, I stayed out of trouble. My whole life, I worked hard. I'm finally here in the NFL, and I realized what I told myself my whole life was a lie. You see, growing up for me was always just enough to numb the pain a little bit to get me through to the next day. But to get there and to realize that the money and the fame, that will never fulfill me. All that pain started gushing up inside of me, and I began to do what a lot of people do in the world who only have 
the information about who Christ is and not the revelation. I try to numb the pain myself. I try to numb it with partying and alcohol and drugs and all sorts of things. Fights, DUIs, suspensions, getting stabbed. My life was becoming a mess. I'll be honest with you, at this point in my life, I wanted to commit suicide. I wanted to go jump off a bridge. That's how low I was. With all the money and fame that people think will fulfill you and make you happy. You know what I thank God for? I thank God for his grace. I thank God for the people that he uses sometime to put us back on the right track. For myself, that was my wife, my high school sweetheart. At this time, we had one child. And I always kind of grew up, me, me, our relationship was, I'm the Christian. My grandfather was the pastor of the church. My grandfather built the church. I'm the Christian. I pray more than you. My mother was a prayer woman. And she always said, I'm a Christian, William. I'm a believer as well. But there's one thing that separated from us. The Bible says, the Father says, that they will be known by their fruit. Her fruit and my fruit were completely different. What was it that she had that I didn't have? Information versus revelation. This point in my life, she was ready to walk out of my life. True story, I come home late one night, half drunk, half high, tired. I'm hurt. I'm depressed. I don't know what to do with my life. I'm throwing my career away. The coaches are ready to be done with me. They don't know how to get rid of me. My wife asked me this one simple question. She says, William, have you ever given God a try? She says, William, I have every reason biblically to walk out of your life, but I got to ask you, have you ever given God a try? And I look back at her, I'm thinking, me giving God a try? I'm, I'm a Christian. What do you mean? Giving God a try. She says, William, have you ever given God a try? And then the more she asked me, it made me angry. I said to myself, giving God a try. Do you know what I've seen in my life? Do you know what I've been through in my life? Giving God a try. If that was a God, certainly he has forgotten about me. What do you mean, giving God a try? Do you know what I've seen? I wouldn't wish my pains on my worst enemy. What do you mean, have I given God a try? She says, William, I'm going to rephrase this question for you. She says, William, was it ever that moment in your life that you decided to stop living for you and your sinful ways and decided to turn for a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, and ask him into your heart? When was it ever that moment in your life that you had a heart that was saying, Lord, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to repent. I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that Savior is your son, Jesus Christ, and I want to accept what he did for me on the cross. She says, William, have you ever done that? She says, William, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that his Father has risen him from the dead, you shall be saved. And in the back of my mind, I thought to myself, man, I said that prayer before. And she simply reminded me, William, it's the condition of your heart. Have you ever turned from your sinful ways and turned to his ways and asked him into your life? You see, there's a big difference, William. You might have asked God into your life because you needed help. You might have asked God into your life because you were hurt. But the heart he's looking for is a heart that says, Lord, I want you in my life because I love you, not, for what, not because of what you can do for me. I love you and I accept what your son did on the cross. William, have you ever truly done that? Not the prayer you say on Saturday to score touchdowns for Sunday. Not the prayer you need when you need a bill paid. Not the prayer you need when you're afraid. The prayer when you say, Lord, I love you. I accept you for who you are and what your son sent, you can't, sent him here to do. And as I sat there in awe, she just looked back at me. She said, don't answer that question. I got news for you. You're disappointed in a God. And you're mad at a God that you've never 
given a chance. About 25, 26 years older. I looked at her in awe, and I realized she was absolutely right. I realized it was never that moment that I truly had Christ into my life to be my Lord and Savior. I realized that everything that I was going through, I was mad at a God that I had never given a chance. I finally understood what it was to ask Christ into my heart, and he welcomed me in with open arms. He did something for me that money and fame could not compare to. He did something for me that drugs and alcohol could not, could not numb me enough to do. He took the pain of the past away. Some of you are out there and you're dealing with something that's so dreadful, the pain of your past, whatever it may be, and you're just trying to carry it and carry it. But I want to ask you, were you like me? Do you just have the information in your head about who God is and you just think this is the way life has got to be and you don't understand what the revelation of who he truly is? Your life can be different and your life can be changed. I finally understood this and the Lord changed my world. It says my yoke is light. Cast all your cares on me. I will never leave you, or I will never forsake you. Restored my life. The pain of the past, they took it away. That career that I had, I, got, I turned it around. I got to play four more years in the NFL after that. That wife that was about to walk out of my life, well, you know we have eight children at that time. We had one, so we had seven more kids after that. That's not too bad for a man whose wife was about to walk out of his life. But here's the deal. The greatest part about that decision is I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. God says in my father's house, there, he says in his father's house, there are many mansions. I know one belongs to me, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus Christ did. You know what? I travel the world, and, 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 and I know one thing to be true is that I finally found the truth. I found the truth. Men debate about this all the time. They debate about it. My religion is right. My theology is right. This is right. That is right. This God is real. This God is not real. There is only one God. And how is this proven? It's proven with something no one can argue about. What you cannot debate about is when someone's life has been changed. When someone receives the spirit of God and everything about them becomes new. Everything about them becomes new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, for anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. All things pass away, and behold, all becomes new. Not one, not some, not a little bit. All becomes new. How does it become new? Because when the Spirit of God lives in you, your fruit show it. Let me ask you, are you here today with the information in your head about who God is and not the revelation, and you're still wondering, why are my fruits not proven that I am saved? Why am I still living this way? Perhaps... You never truly repented and believed. John the Baptist preached about it in the desert. He said, listen, how do I escape the wrath to come? Repent and believe. It doesn't say I'm just going to feel sorry and believe upon God. It doesn't say I want to just a change from my life or I need help with this so I'm going to believe upon God. It meant I'm Lord. I can, you can see my heart. You know that I am going to change and I believe upon your son, Jesus Christ. Please give me your spirit. It's a big difference. Was once a man who would be so depressed that I couldn't get myself out of bed. But my life with God changed. Was once a man who couldn't look himself in the mirror because you felt too hurt and too ashamed. But God changed my life. I was once a man who didn't understand what it meant to be a husband or a father, but God changed my life. I know one thing to be true. I look into this audience today. 
even though a lot of times we often come to church and we make everybody think things are all right. I know that there are people out there who need a change. I know there are people out there who may think they have God in their head, but they don't have that revelation in their heart. They need a change. I know there got to be marriages out there. You're ready to throw in the towel. You're ready to give up. Let me tell you, the Lord is waiting for you to receive him and get that change. There's a person out there who's struggling with an addiction. And everybody is looking at you and saying, why can't they quit? What's going on? They don't understand to free you from that. It takes a miracle, a miracle that only God can give you. Not a 12-step program, but a one-step program, which is Jesus Christ. Changes here today is waiting. Here's what I know about my change to be true. Here's what I want to close with. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, one day because I accepted Jesus Christ, there is a place for me in heaven. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I'm going to tell you the first thing I'm going to do when I get there. When I get into the gates of heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is realize and understand that I'm going to find my mother because she was there. And I'm going to remember all the times I looked at her angry and said, why? How? Why are you happy? How can you love them? What's going on? And I'm going to let her know. I finally figured out what it was. Obviously, I'm here, so you know I figured out what it was. It's called the joy of the Lord, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Never leave you, never forsake you, no matter what's going on in this life. He was always there with you. He lived in you. Your joy was in him in the things above. You built your treasures up here. Perhaps that's why you got that big crown on you. Just want to ask you guys if I close. Can you say the same thing? You know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's a place for you in heaven. Were you like me? A young man who grew up just thinking, I'm a Christian. I'm more Christian than you. I'm more Christian than everybody. I only had information but not the revelation that could get me in the kingdom of heaven. Are you here today and say, William, I never truly repented and believed. I never truly asked Christ into my heart for the right reason. Or you're here today and you just say, William, I'm just clearly a sinner in need of a Savior. I want to make sure my place in heaven is secure. Let's read one scripture. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 21. And everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. On that day they will say to me, have we not prophesied in your name? Has we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And I shall say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of inequity. Here's why I love this scripture. and It scares me at the same time because this is clearly people who thought they were right with God. This is clearly people who thought that perhaps just because they went to a church or perhaps just because they said some sort of prayer, but never truly had Christ living in them, never truly had the Holy Spirit living in their world, get into the gates of heaven and realize there's not a place for them. We're all eternal beings. One day, if we believe or not, we all have to go somewhere forever for eternity. The Bible says that every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I suggest you do it on this side instead of the other side. Because if you do it on the other side, it is far too late. And eternity is far too long to be wrong. So here's what I want to do. If that's you here today, you say, man, I, 
I don't know if I've ever really truly asked Christ into my heart for the right reason. Or if you just say, man, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, they all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How do I receive this? Come forward with a repentant heart. With a repentant heart. Romans 10 and 9 and say, I confess you as Lord. I believe you sent your son here for me. Simple as that. I'm going to count down from three. If that's you here today, I just want you to slip out of your seats and allow me to pray for you. Here we go. Three, two, and one. Bible says that if you deny me before man, I have no choice but to deny you to deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. Jesus Christ walked on this earth. He never called nobody out in secrecy behind some dark barn. He said, leave everything and come follow me. When you get to the gates of heaven, the only thing that's going to matter is if you accepted Christ. The only thing that's going to matter if, it, if you get there, the aroma is Christ, of Christ is upon you. His blood is covering you. That's the only thing that's going to matter. No one's, no, it's, it's not going to be anyone there that you can sit in your seat and say, well, they always thought I was a Christian. What are they going to say? What are they going to think about me? The only thing that matters is if you truly have Christ into your heart. Here's what I know for certain. I would have passed away before I received Christ. I would have got to the gates of heaven. He wouldn't have looked at me and said, William, you had a hard life. You had it tough. It wasn't fair. Come on in. He wouldn't have looked at me and said that your, your grandfather was a pastor. Your uncle was a, a pastor. You, you have this legacy of praying family. You can come in. You said, depart from me. I never knew you. So one more time, I'm going to just ask if there's anyone here in the Holy Spirit drawing you forward. Come forward in three, two, and one. God bless her. Give her a round of applause. Eternity is far too long to be wrong. You say, I, I kind of said a prayer before when I was a, a child, and I said this prayer, but you know what? I, I, I didn't come forward with the right heart, Lord. I understand now. I have to, it has to be the right heart. Second Corinthians 7.10 says that godly sorrow brings forth repentance and salvation, but earthly sorrow only brings forth regret and death. Is there anyone else? Let's come down and pray with you all. If everyone could just repeat after me. Repeat this prayer for everyone who has decided to come forward here today. With every head bowed and eyes closed, please repeat after me. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, I understand that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that that Savior is your son, Jesus Christ. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Therefore, I receive your spirit, Lord. And the enemy no longer has a hold of my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. 
Give them all a big round of applause, please. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, guys. I want to do one more thing before we close here. It's Father's Day, and the Lord put this on my heart to do in the first. Uh, but I want to say a prayer, and in a minute, I'm going to ask any father to come forward. And when I say this prayer, I'm including myself in this prayer. On Father's Day, I feel that the word is that we need to be more humble. And some of y'all are looking at me saying, I'm humble. Some of you are humble men, but I'm talking about a different level of humility. I'm talking about the level of humility that God can use you the way he truly wants to use you. See, the task and the job to being a true father and directing our family the way we need to direct them so they can go do great things for the Lord, it has to be a certain level of humility. What do I mean by this? The level of humility where you realize that, Lord, is nothing about me. It's not about me at all. It is all about you. I cast all my cares on you. Let me tell you something. There are stories in the Bible. Moses, when I think of Moses, you know what I think about in the beginning? When the Lord first spoke that word, just like when you receive your family, this is your family. You guide them and direct them. In the beginning, it was about Moses. You know what? Hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to help my people. This is what I'm going to do. And in the process, he killed an Egyptian man. Let me tell you, he wasn't humble enough yet. He wasn't ready yet. When the Lord placed him in the wilderness for 40 years, he got humble enough. He got so humble that when he came back and told him what he was supposed to do again, he said, Lord, I can't do that. That's how humble we have to be to truly raise our families the way we God intended for us to raise them. So for any man today who wants to come forward, and I'm including myself, I say a special favorite prayer of humility. That prayer that allows us, even though we think who's right and wrong in a relationship, perhaps with our wives, that you know what? I'm humble enough to say, I forgive you. I'm sorry. Let's move forward. That prayer that, that you're so humble that you cast all your cares on God and you know you're nothing without him. So it gives you the ability to enjoy your life and enjoy your family to the point because you don't worry about anything because you're so humble. You cast everything on him and you know that he's got to take care of it and he will take care of it. Any man who wants to do that here today and be in that prayer, any father, ask you to just simply come forward. I can pray this prayer over you, please. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless us, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We seek to be more like you every day, Father. Be more like your son. Thank you, Father. Dear gracious and heavenly Father God, you, you see every father who's standing up here who's humble enough just to come forward and realize that, God, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm never good enough. It's your righteousness and my faith in you that makes me righteous, not my good deeds. Father, I ask you to bless them today to reach a new level of humility, Father God. To understand that they can live a life of taking out the stress and the aggravation of worrying about the cares of the world. 
Because when we're humble enough to say, Lord, I'm not strong enough, I give it all to you, it gives us the security of knowing that you got it, you got us. So what do I worry about if I gave it all to my Father, who knows all things, who can do all things? I ask for that type of humility so they can enjoy that family. We ask today for the type of humility, Father, that will reconcile relationships perhaps with our children or perhaps with our wives. Stepping back and allowing you to shine through in our lives. I ask you to bless us with that humility to just ask all the time, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? I say this prayer for all these men today, and I plead the blood of Jesus over them and over the humility that they receive to always peel it back, to peel it back and say, what would Jesus do in this situation? He's got my back. I worry for nothing. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.